All right. I'm going to invite my friend Vicki live and in person to the stage. Our lead pastor, Andrew, is on sabbatical for one more month. And so in the meantime, we have been blessed by hearing from all kinds of friends. This is Vicki. She is a wife. She is a mother. She's a businesswoman. She is a teacher, an educator, a lover of Jesus, an adventurer, and just a pleasure to get to know. So Lord, would you bless Vicki as she shares today. Thank you for what you have imparted to her and for the way that you will encourage us and challenge us through this word this morning. In your name, amen. All right. Good morning, church family. Good morning to those of you who are in the house and online. I'm just so glad to be here today. Um, All right. We have been going through the thousand names of God, and as I was preparing to share with you, it was asking this question, how do you even start to describe God? How do you describe Jesus? Uh, A name is a way that we describe someone or something, and usually there's a lot embedded in that one word or phrase. And I think that's kind of what we're trying to do with this series, right, is to get to know those different facets of God, get to know Him at a deeper level, get to know the Holy One that we worship. So as speakers have shared throughout this summer, we've experienced numerous names that we can use to describe the Lord, who he is, his character, his unchanging but yet complex character, and how he reflects his love for us. Now, over the centuries, God's people, the patriarchs, the prophets, the judges, the kings, the poets— the scholars and the apostles have all tried to capture the essence of who he is and how to describe God so that his people would know him. But my question to you is this. How do we know? Where are we learning these names? We hear testimonies. We read stories. These stories pass down for generations. But a lot of time we go back to the Bible for most of these names. The names given to God throughout the centuries by his people, as well as the names that God says he is. So today I'm going to direct us back to the Word and look at the New Testament Gospel of John. I also want to look at how God is so gracious and uh, full of truth that he revealed to us his word in ways that we can actually grasp. And then I also want to take a look at our own relationship with the word. So let's go ahead and start out looking at John's gospel. Um, As I was reading through this first chapter, I was wondering, what was John thinking and how was he, what questions was he wrestling with to be able to start even writing this gospel, the account of Jesus' life that he was part of? I'm wondering, did he ask, how do I, in words, try to describe who Jesus was and is? Where do I even start to be able to encompass this whole being of Jesus, the one that I encountered and the one who loved me with an indescribable love? And as we know from history, John wrote his gospel or his version of the account of Jesus' life after Matthew, Mark, and Luke. 
And you might say it took him a lifetime to be able to put into words, to reflect on that fullness and the full description of who Jesus was. So if you have your Bibles with you or your Bible apps, let's turn to John 1, and we're going to look at John 1 through 14. All right. I'm going to go ahead and read 1 through 14, so read along with me. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Side note, this is not John the author. This is John the Baptist. John actually doesn't use his name throughout the book. Um, So just note this is John the Baptist he's speaking of. Verse 7. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. John is so poetic and erythral in his opening of the gospel account of Jesus. It is so different than the other three Gospels. John introduces this central figure of the Gospel, but he doesn't even use the name Jesus or Christ until verse 29. John chooses to describe Jesus as the Word. Now, the Word in Greek is also logos. And logos can be transcribed to mean reason, word, speech, principle. And now John uses this name of Jesus, I think, to get the attention of both the Jew and the Greek. Now, Jews would have recognized the word as the name of God because Jews would have referred to God as the word. You'll see it throughout the Old Testament Um, They use the word of the Lord. But even in their everyday today, they wouldn't always um, say the word Yahweh or Jehovah. They would say the word. They'd point it out, see it. Um, So this was very familiar to them. And this reference would have been understood by the Jewish people. But the Greeks would have also recognized this reference to logos. Um, Logos to them referred to an impersonal principle of order, a pattern of reason, Um, For the Greeks at this time, 
when John wrote the book, um, they would have recognized this popular philosophy back to 600 BC as their belief in a rational universe that was full of patterns and predictability um, and was referred to logos to be the design and the order of creation. So a Greek reading John's gospel would have also immediately made that connection with the, a creator, creation, designer. So I just love how intentional John is about every word in this gospel. He was not only intentional about the name he chose, but he was also very intentional about where he would choose to start this book, this letter that would reflect Jesus' life. Now, let's look at John 1, 1, and those words in the beginning. Does this remind you of any other scripture? Say, what does it remind you of? Genesis. Genesis starts with in the beginning. So when you compare John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, with Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. John chooses to start way back at the beginning, not at Jesus' birth, not even back to the prophets or to Abram or to Adam. He goes all the way back to creation, to Genesis, and he mirrors this beginning of his account of Jesus with the beginning of the world because Jesus was there at creation. So let's take a closer look at John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus was there at the beginning in creation. He is eternal. He didn't start in the manger at Bethlehem or in Mary's womb. He started way before that, and he was there at creation. He is eternal with our God. Jesus was also with God. He was communing with God. And that third statement, the word was God. And it feels like these are three different statements about different people, and yet they all describe who Jesus is. We're exposed to a complexity of Christ and his divine relationship with God and the fact that he is God. Now, we could camp probably on this verse for a really long time and debate it and talk about it and have all those conversations. And I'm going to leave that to you with each other around coffee or around the dinner table. But um, just to know that Jesus wasn't just there at the beginning, but that through him, God created all things. So let's look at John 1, 3. It says, through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And in Genesis 1-3, it says, God said, let there be light, and there was light. You notice, through him, all things were made, and God said, God's word is what created light. It's not that... God created the world with his hands, right? It says he said. And if you look at that phrase, God said, that he spoke, 
creation, it happens 10 times in Genesis 1. Every day when he created that new thing that day, God said, let there be, fill in what he created. And I think I've read this over and over and over, but it never really sunk in that the words were actually Jesus creating. Through him, all things were made. Through God's word, that Jesus was the spoken word of God. It shows us that the word was not created, but that the word was the creator. It reminds us and shows us the eternality of Jesus and the immense power the word of God has. Now, I want to jump down to verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh. Those four words can sum up the whole Christmas story in just four simple words. It's pretty amazing, um, John's ability to take pages of events that happened and just sum it up in such a simple yet profound statement. How can we even begin to wrap our minds around what that actually means, that the word became flesh. And yet, the word who was with us made himself a man to dwell among us. And then John says, we have seen his glory. The fact that God became a man and they actually saw his glory. And the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. What an amazing summation of Jesus' life as he walked on earth. And in all four Gospels, we can see his grace. We see his kindness and his mercy played out. We can see his truth when he doesn't back down from those hard conversation and the hard words that need to be said, but said in love. We can see his words and actions penetrated the hearts of those who encountered him, In his book, The Divine Romance, God's Quest for Man, Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen says this, Man has never loved, never will love, anything he cannot get his arms around. The cosmos is too big and bulky. That is why the immense God became a babe in order that we may encircle him with our arms. The fact that God became a babe, that we may actually be able to wrap our arms around him. There were many reasons Jesus became flesh. He fulfilled prophecies. He was the Messiah. He was the perfect lamb. He died for us to be reunited with God. But he also became flesh to walk in our footsteps to walk alongside us, and to show us what it looks like to be a disciple and a child of God. And he showed us how to love. Now, for most of human history, hearing God's word 
was the only means of access. If you look back, oral tradition, repetition, conversations around the dinner table or the campfire, the stories that were told were how God's word was shared and passed down from generation to generation. Reading God's word was another option for some and in some time periods, but not many were literate or had that uh, privilege to have access to the actual written word of God. Now, there were a select few who committed their lives to writing and copying the word on stone or papyrus or paper and so that it could be preserved and shared. And we get to reap the benefits of that today. We have so much access to the word of God. In fact, I have a stack here. So here's my question to you. Raise your hand if you own your own Bible, if you have your own copy. Ooh, look around. There's a lot of hands raised. Now, with those hand raised, I want you to take account of how many copies do you have in your house? Can you raise your hands and think how many copies do you have in your house? Some of you probably have to start using your toes also because you have so many copies of God's Word. I bet there's a few of you out here that have copies in multiple languages as well. Wow, what a privilege, right? And how many of you have an app on your phone? Or two or three or four, right? Look around. We have so much access to God's written word. It's amazing. And yet, with all this access that we have, as the church, the body of Christ, and as individual followers of Christ, do we use that access? How much time are we actually spending in God's word each week, each day, each month? The stats are pretty astounding in the American church of how little time we spend in the Word. I'm going to read a passage to you out of a popular Bible handbook that kind of describes the state of the American church. It says this, With all our facilities for propagating Christian truth, our well-organized churches and Bible schools, our seminaries, our highly trained ministers and church leaders, with the last word in up-to-date religious education methods and an endless amount of Christian literature, an ever-increasing number of meetings and organizations where we talk and teach and preach all in the name of the Bible, even quoting chapter and verse, and yet the mere body of our church members treat the Bible as if it were a mere side issue in their lives. They are willing, provided enough promotional pressures put on them, to listen to preachers and leaders talk of Bible things. But as for reading it themselves, only a few do it. Of a hundred average church members, perhaps only one may even know the names of the books of the Bible or have any idea of what each book is about. Probably more than three-fourths of our American Protestant church members could not offhand tell you where to find the Sermon on the Mount 
or the Ten Commandments. Now, as you listen to this description, what time period do you think this author is describing? Any guesses? Now? 1800s? This is out of Haley's Bible Handbook, 1924, 100 years ago, almost exactly. And if you think about that description, so many of you said, that's how I would describe the church now. Think back over the last hundred years and the technology we have and the access to information you have. You would think we wouldn't have this problem. And yet, are we not so different from the Israelites? They had the word of God. They experienced God's power and miracles. They saw the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. He provided them food in the morning and defeated their enemies against all odds. And yet, they forgot. They neglected the word and their hearts turned away. I would say there's a point at which we're similar or we rely on all this technology and information and, and leaders and speakers and access to podcasts and YouTube and everything that we have that we don't take ownership for ourselves and we neglect the word. I love that God knows. God knows us. He created us. He knows how he knit us together and he knows how our minds and hearts work. Now, when I was teaching third grade here at Chico Christian School, we had a Bible memorization program. And for those of you who either went through Chico Christian School, I hope you can recall those verses. I know as teachers, we can recall those verses because we taught them over and over again. But what's fun is that I got to, at third grade, like our lens that we taught through was the Word. So all the verses that I taught to the third graders each year were verses that described God's Word. And we got to, to learn about the Bible, the structure of the Bible, the books of the Bible. Now, we had a lot of fun, but I had to be creative in how I taught about the Bible because, you know, it's a lot for third graders. But I realized that there were ways to help make the Bible and the concepts stick. And so as a teacher, I would use different teaching techniques in my lessons to allow students to use like the multiple learning modalities. Now, if you're not familiar with them, there are basically four, but over the years, educators and psychologists have found that there are probably five to seven to nine. There's a lot. But I'm going to focus on the four today that are kind of the base. And you'll recognize these as auditory learning, visual learning, reading and writing, and then the kinesthetic uh, learning, the kind of touching and, and moving and acting that out. So to teach my students, I would try to include all four in the lessons, but sometimes that's a little bit hard. Um, but we would recite verses, we'd sing them, we'd chant them. We would use visuals such as slides and pictures and props. We would uh, use this book of the Bible sheet and they'd get to fill in and write on the spine of each of the book the names and color them in and interact with it a little bit. And then we would actually build a big model in the classroom of the Bible and they'd get to actually add each book in order. 
And so it was really fun to watch the kids interacting with the word and learning the structure and kind of how it's put together so that when they went to use it, it wasn't foreign to them. They got comfortable with it. Now, when we were memorizing the verses, John 1, 1 through 4, it's one of our memory verses, I, I was meditating on it, and I realized, and it occurred to me that God has been using these learning modalities since the beginning, even before modern educators and psychologists discovered them, right? God created them. He created us. And of course, he would use them. And so I started to look through, and as I would read the Bible, I would find these, these glimpses of how God was trying to reach his people through different ways. And I laughed because I'm like, of course, he's our creator. He knows us. So I wanted to just pull out a few of these um, as examples to just encourage you um, to kind of reflect and think about what is your way? What is your like learning modality? How does the word speak to you? And I will also encourage you that the, it's not just one. You probably use all of these. Um, so be, be thinking about that. All right, so we're going to look at how God used the spoken word which is the auditory um, modality. And just a few examples, obviously in Genesis 1, creation, he spoke his word and it created the world, but he also spoke to Adam and Eve in the garden. Um, in Exodus 20, he spoke the 10 commandments to Moses on the mount. And throughout the Old Testament, there is story after story of Jesus, or Jesus God speaking his word to his people. Now, he also used the visual word with his people as well, this visual modality. And one of them is uh, G Genesis 15:1, when God gives his covenant to Abram, it actually says Abram had a vision of God. He was, again, visualizing what this was when God was giving him the covenant and talking to him. And then in Exodus uh, 3, Moses at the burning bush, this visual of God as a burning bush speaking to Moses. We have the pillar of fire and the cloud. We have just example after example of God giving a visual of his word to his people in case we couldn't get it the first time, right? Now, he also gave us his written word. He gave us the ability to read and write, to write that down. But um, he also, in Exodus 31.18, it says that the Ten Commandments were written by the finger of God, that it was actually God who wrote the Ten Commandments on the tablet. I thought that was really interesting. And it wasn't, it wasn't something I hadn't, like, picked up before and focused on, but it was actually God's finger that wrote it down for us. But what's interesting is, did you know God actually had to write them down twice? Because the first time Moses brought him down from the mountain, he was so frustrated with the Israelites worshiping the calf that he threw them down and broke them. So then in Deuteronomy, God says, go get the tablets again and I'm going to write them down again for you. And I love that God is so gracious with us when we blow it. 
we forget that he will do it again for us. And he, he does this with his written word. Now, God spoke his word. He gave us signs and wonders, visions, his word on display. He wrote down his word for us. But his people still fully didn't comprehend it. And I think we also don't fully comprehend. And so, he also sent his word to become flesh, to become the physical word. This kinesthetic modality. In John 1, 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Matthew 1, 18, Jesus was born a babe, human. He became a man. He walked among us. He modeled for his disciples what it looked like to have a full relationship with God and to love others. He became flesh to dwell with us and to show us who he is, and in doing so, showing us who we are called to be. Jesus loved us so much that he became flesh. I just love that God has gone to so many levels to reach his people. He's used learning modalities to communicate the word with me and with you. And so my question is, how should we then respond to a God that has wanted to just give us his word so that we could have a relationship with him? So this question, how should I respond, brings me to another verse that I had our third graders memorize, and that's Deuteronomy 11, 18 through 21. Now, as we read this, I've highlighted some of those words that remind me of the different modes that God has used and is encouraging us to use to remember his words and to fix them in our hearts and minds. Deuteronomy 11, 18. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Now, we can take this as a symbol of something that we can be thinking about doing, to tie them to our hands and bind them on our foreheads. But the Jewish people took this literally, and the phylacteries, they'd make this little box and put God's word in it with, with leather straps, and they would actually wrap it around their arm, and they would tie it like a headband on their head during their prayer time. They took this literally to physically tie the words onto their hands and to their, their heads. I love that it's both the kinesthetic, the tactile touching and doing, as well as that visual to remind us that as we go out and serve, that we would do that with God's word and our frontal lobes, our thinking mode, that we would have God's word right there in the front of our minds. Deuteronomy 19. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Teach, talk. Do that spoken word and use that auditory senses. And then the, while you sit and walk and lie down and get up, all of the movements throughout your day, throughout your week, incorporate the word into that. 
as we're teaching them to our children, modeling for them what it looks like to walk this out, just as Jesus modeled for us what it looked like to walk this out. That's the call on us. And Deuteronomy 20, 21, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates so that your days and the days of your children may be many. Write them, that reading and writing mode, that we can see it, that if it's written on the doorposts of their houses when they go in and when they leave, it would be that reminder to them of God's word. Now, I just love that God knows how our brains and hearts work and that he was there in the beginning. He is the word, and yet he's made his word so accessible to us. If you listened to Devin Tarr's message last week, if you were here or, or catch it on YouTube, um, he touched on four helps in making God your banner. That was his word. Um, he reflected on those four helps, but one of them was called the daily office of prayer and of reading scripture daily. And this was a form of prayer structure that was kind of modeled off of the life of monks. So if you didn't get a chance to hear his message, I really encourage you to, to watch that and, and glean those four helps that he re referenced. But as he, as I was watching this week, uh, when he spoke about the monks, it reminded me of, I've always had this curiosity and kind of fascination with the life of the monks and just their disciplined lifestyle when it came to the word, that they had routines that made their lives so structured that the word consumed their every day, probably every hour, maybe even every minute. But they would copy the word, study the word, chant the word, listen to the word. They had such a relationship with the word, and it was so rich that it was almost tangible. And when I think about that, how consumed their lives and saturated their lives were with the word, man, it just makes me like have this hunger and desire for a little bit of that in my life. So I came across this quote um, by Peter J. Lithart, and it describes their relationship with the word in this way. So um, Lithart says this, the Bible entered their souls through their eyes but God's word was also in their ears, and they tasted it in their mouths. They tasted it in their mouths. And when I read this quote, I just had this sense of this depth of what it would be like to actually feel God's word, to be so immersed that you would taste it in your mouth. I can't say I can recall the last time where I could say I tasted God's word in my mouth. But church, my prayer for us is that we would be so saturated in the word and who Jesus is that we would be able to feel it and taste it. Have those encounters with it. And I realize most of us will never be able to have the life of a monk and set up our, our daily um, patterns to be that intentional and that consumed from morning till night. 
But I do think we can ask ourselves this question. What will it take for me to fall so deeply in love with the word and be so hungry for the word that I would sacrifice sleep and time and money and entertainment and distractions because I so want to have space and time to spend in the word with Jesus. If you think back to a time when you were in love, that young love, maybe your teenage years, where you literally wouldn't sleep as much, you wouldn't eat as much, you would not have to watch TV or your phone because you were so excited to spend time with that person. And I check my heart and I say, do I have that same love and hunger and desire to spend time in the word with Jesus? And honestly, most of the time, I think we could say, no, there's a lot of other things that take our time, our heart, our mind, our energy. And I'm just convicted that I need to fall in love with God's word again. So what will it take for us to fully engage? Now, for most of us, we're on a different journey. We're all at different places. Some of us have never opened the word ever before. Some of us have gone through many years of schooling, spending time in the Word. But I would encourage us, wherever we're at, that we can prepare to rebuild and continue to build a deeper relationship with the Word. Now, this fall, as a congregation, Pastor Andrew is going to walk us through um, the Word in a different kind of way to help us become more biblically literate, to help us get to know the the word from back to front and front to back and to really feel like we could wrap our arms around it. And so think about how can we prepare for this fall to be more prepared for what we're going to be learning? How do we do that? Now I thought, oh, there's tricks and tips and you know, Bible hacks and how to know God's word in 30 days and all these different things that I'm sure are online are really accessible to us. But I think those are tools we can use. But I think there's phases that we have to intentionally go through to rekindle that relationship with the word. So how do we do that? Well, I would encourage you to get to this next level, wherever you're at, to stop first and reflect and repent. Reflect on where you're at in your relationship with the word. And then repent of that that lack that you see. God, I am not hungry enough for your word. I am not intentional enough spending time with you. Whatever that looks like, I just encourage you to stop and reflect and repent first. Let his grace and truth penetrate your heart. Now, a next phase would be to rediscover and rekindle. God wants to spend time with you and has provided all we need to spend time with him. But to make the space to adjust the posture of your heart and mind with an intent to rekindle that fire, that fire of your first love that you had for the word. 
or if you never have, to start that flame and fan it and get it going. So part of that is to be intentional about kindling that, rekindling that, and spending that time. So how do you, if it's gone stale, how do you rediscover that first love? And so the next phase may be to re-enter and to re-engage. We know we need to do it. We want to do it. we got to do it, right? And so be intentional. Re-enter. Open that word. Find that modality, that learning mode that's going to work for you. And do it. Re-engage. Tie it on your hands. Bind it on your foreheads. Teach it to your children as you sit at home and walk along the road when you lie down and when you get up. Re-engage with the word. That could be a daily time that you set aside to read the word. It could be a Bible study you join, a small group that you're a part of. What is it going to take for you? And then the next phase is to repeat and review it. Repeat, 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 and review, review. And a lot of this might be you talking about it at your dinner table with your family. It could be you having a conversation over coffee with a friend. It can be you just repeating in your mind and rereading the stories that you say, I've read that a thousand times. Read it again. God has something new for you there, something deeper, and something that will meet you where you're at currently. So I just encourage you to have those conversations with believers, but also non-believers. How do we testify to the light and to the word? Continue to repeat and review and don't stop. Next and last, resolve to respond. And what I mean by that is it's not just about knowing his word, memorizing scripture, knowing the books of the Bible, understanding who that author was talking to. I also believe it's about responding to his word and being so resolved that you would respond the way that Jesus would respond. So as we learn how the word, Jesus, reacted to people Are we committed to also responding as the word did when we see injustice, when we see hurt, when we see poverty or need? Are we going to react when we see the lost the way that the word did? Are we so saturated in the word that we can't but help to respond to the world as Jesus did? So again, I know we're at all different places when it comes to knowing the word and soaking it in and living it out. And so I would encourage you today, if you've never opened your Bible, John is a really good place to start. And if you open your Bible every day, I would encourage you to reflect that maybe your next step is to be more resolved to have a a response that's appropriate or you need to rekindle that first love you had using a different learning modality, a different way of expressing that, and maybe you need to pass it on to others. So as we continue through this series, The Thousand Names of God, 
as we learn his names, I want you to remember that it's not enough to know his name, but I want you to be al allow the word and that name to saturate you and change you so that you'll be able to testify of the word that became flesh, that your words would be rooted in the light that shines in the darkness and so that others may believe and that others may see his glory and experience his grace and truth. Now I'm going to invite the prayer team to come on up. And with that, church, I'm going to invite you this morning to just take a minute before you leave here to reflect. Reflect on your heart. Reflect on the status of where you're at with your hunger and your love for the word. And you may need to come forward and bring that to God. But I just encourage you, pick it up, read the word, commune with it, and allow it to saturate your heart, and you will be blessed. So I'm going to pray for us. Jesus, thank you for being the word. Thank you for coming to dwell with us and modeling what it looks like to live it out, to walk it out, and to be children of God. Thank you that you showed us how to love God and love others. Father, we praise you for giving us access to your word in so many ways and how privileged we are in the American church to have so much access to your word. God, may we hunger for it and may we not become complacent. Father, just increase our, our desire to want to spend time with your word and learn it. And I just pray that as we take in your word, may we shine that light wherever we go. And as we go out today, may we just take your light into this world. We just thank you, Father, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, church. Thank you for being here today. And we just thank those of you online that were with us today. Have a blessed week.